Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. I bet you didn't know this. Less than half of all accommodation bookings globally are done online. There's also every chance you don't know about one of Australia's newest tech unicorns with a $1.1 billion valuation slated for a possible IPO in the next year or so. Hotel Tech Play SiteMinder is the world's largest hotel commerce platform behind 32,000 hotels and boutique accommodation providers around the world based from Sydney. It's their engine room for managing multi-channel bookings and payments direct from customers and aggregation sites you will have most certainly heard of like Airbnb, Expedia, Booking.com and the rest. SiteMinder started in 2006 from a rented Sydney apartment and now has a posse of private equity backers behind the 100 million plus bookings the platform processed a bit over a year ago. But there's a big job to do yet to continue its global march and its CMO Mark Renshaw after returning to Australia following 20 years abroad working for the likes of Leo Burnett and more recently Edelman is charged with driving global growth. He's also flying the flag for how sexy modern B2B marketing can really be when many see it as a lower funnel demand generation drudge compared to its handsome sibling over in the B2C sector. Possibly a bit harsh on my part, Mark, but welcome. And let's start with your contrarian view that B2B marketing is misunderstood. I think even as you note, uh, Google and Facebook uh, churn out their flagship case studies, but they tend to sideline B2B for passion brands and categories in the consumer side like Lego, Patagonia and BMW. Why does B2B have such a bad rap, Mark? And and welcome. It's good to um, catch up. Yeah, thanks, Paul, so much. Uh, Really great to be here. I think B2B generally has a bit of a bad rap because I I think people think that it's full of constraints and conventions uh, about how it needs to be. And and I actually think it's a really big creative opportunity for for marketers and the advertising industry to really embrace. I, I think in the past, I think people thought that brands were built by the the CPG, you know, and the and the package good companies, and that's where you learnt your craft about how to build a brand and how to be a marketer. But I really think the tech brands, um, and in particular the B two B tech brands, are really playing bigger roles in people's lives, and the entire marketing spectrum is right there um, for someone to experience. So. I kind of think it's misunderstood, to be honest, and I think there's a massive opportunity there that's going kind of uh, unseized at the moment. Well, when did you start to, to see that, Mark? Because you've spent a lot of your career in, in, in big advertising networks and, and, uh, and communications networks where a lot of it was B2, B2C and, and a lot of professionals hung their, sort of hitched their britches to what they could do in a consumer category. When did you start to see that actually B2B could be different? Yeah, I think uh, when I was in Sydney, when I was in uh, Asia, and even when I was in the US, I, I definitely saw some brands coming to those agencies that I worked at and saying, we need a brand. Um, you know, we, we need someone to help us build a brand. We need to grow the category. And so I worked with brands like Hewlett Packard and Symantec and a few others. And there was some who saw the need to do that and they they sought out professional help from agencies to do that. So I think I, I've always worked on both B2B and B2C, but it was rare, I guess, to see 
a, a marketer or a GM or a CEO say, you know what, I really need some of that kind of B2C knowledge. Um, and it was in fact, when I was working with Symantec at the time, they literally came to the agency I was working at Leo Burnett. They came to Leo Burnett at the time and said, we need some of that B2C thinking um, to be applied into what we're doing across both B2B and B2C. How long ago was that and what did you do as a result of that brief? It was almost about 10 years ago now, to be honest. So it's probably surprising that we haven't seen more of more of that uh, behavior happen in the industry. But right. yeah, it was about 10 years ago and they really were like, we need to grow the category. The, the category was kind of in decline um, and there was less people caring about being protected, um, you know, from the cybersecurity threats out there. So we were we were about how do we evangelize for what's happening? How do we bring a brand purpose to that company and to those businesses? Um, and that was both on SMB as well as on the on the consumer side. So it was it was really someone had the vision to say, I need some help in order to build the brand and grow the category. And that's what kind of made the, the brief come to us. Did it work? It did. We managed to turn around and, and stop, the cate- stop the category from declining. So we definitely did turn it around and we acted like a leader, which is again, what you kind of need to do. And I think, I think there's probably more B2B brands that truly do need to act like leaders um, and, and act like how they actually behave, right, as a company. So I think a lot of those things are just not missing. Maybe maybe B2Bs, there's a, a sense of being very humble. Uh, maybe there's a sense of, you know, we're kind of behind the scenes in people's lives. But for the people who are buying those B2B brands and using those products, particularly tech products, where you're using them all the time, they're such an integral part of their daily work life. I think those B2B brands really do stand more of a, an opportunity to do more. Well, you make a really good point, actually, that even in, in a B2B context, the, the, the B2B targets actually still remain humans. They're people, right? And so they, they're moved by the same stuff that moves B2C sort of strategies. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think everyone thinks that, again, they're very, you know, when people get into that B2B mindset, it becomes very rational. It becomes very factual. And I think, you know, they're, they're real people, these B2B buyers, no matter what they're buying. And there's emotions at play there. They want to be associated with great brands. They want to be connected to those those brands. They want to have the same beliefs as those brands. And, you know, I, I think there's an opportunity there for all, all of us to be a bit more creative with about how B2B brands go to market. So how much of this is on B2B marketers to shift how they think? Because, you know, and, and you, you, you can uh, correct me, uh, which I'm sure you will do, is that it still seems to be that B2B is locked into this lower demand generation sort of a function for at least enterprise uh, companies and big enterprises. Am I getting that wrong or is it still characterized like that and you're trying to break out of that? Yeah, I think it's probably, it's probably a bit of a journey there, right? So I think you are right, Paul, that many of the brands are obviously focused on it and, and it's hard not to get it's hard not to get pulled into that world of immediately driving demand, right? I mean, we all, in every company, whether you're in a B2B or B2C world, if you've got a direct, um, an e-commerce model or a direct relationship to drive business and new business, you're going to get pulled into that direction. Obviously, most brands need to sort of make sure they're building their brand at the same time. And how do you get that right ratio between driving the initial demand that you're converting today as well as growing your obviously your category and growing as a as a leader within that category. So I think there's a bit of a shift there, but I think I think most brands need to just kind of look at how they're evolving and I think the industry needs to realize that there there is some shifts there that can be made. Um, and I think it, it, it is, uh, I definitely agree with you. I do, do think it is on many of the brands to change what they think their role is um, and to change how they approach things. So again, I think all of us can get pulled back into that world of driving immediate results today, but we need to really be thinking more about growing the category. And to do that, you, you are really going to need to use more creative and more emotion, more storytelling. Um, I think 
many B2B brands have done a great job, I think, of building content engines. Right. You know, we spend a lot of time on building our content that is really trying to pull people into our category. And, um, you know, so much of the, the, the traffic we get is from a really big content engine. And I think it's it's hard to... It's, it's hard to sort of get out of the, is that content just factual or can that content also be more emotional? So that's probably the first step I would say is for brands to say, what's your content engine and can you make that more emotional, not so much so rational? Um, and maybe that's your first step to really helping to try to change that perception. Just going back to though that, that notion that classic B2B is about servicing demand or finding demand and, and essentially working or servicing the sales function, if you like, Part of that is because there are what longs, purchase cycles, and some of these enterprise uh, plays that you know might be big, big numbers that may take 12, 18 months to land. Is that part of the problem here? Uh, I think that's in the in the high end part of town, Paul. Yes, like in the more enterprise side where you're dealing with very small number of customers and very large deals. But I think most B two B companies nowadays are generally more in that middle ground or in that SMB space, and that's really where the opportunity is. There's far more. There's far more, obviously, smaller SMBs in the world, and even in our category, there's far smaller hotels than there are larger ones. Um, and those smaller hotels are able to move more quickly and make decisions, you know, uh, more in more responsive way. So, um, I, I really do believe that. I guess that it really just depends on kind of the spectrum there. But you know, it, it is. I think you're right. B two B probably has been set up as more that enterprise model, right, where it's longer sales cycles longer engagements and therefore you know it's about the size of the deal but i do think that's shifted and i think you're seeing more of the creative opportunities probably in the end of the town that is uh, focused on the smaller end of the smb how do you think your peers um, your b2b peers what's required of them to try and adjust or expand their worldview on on what they do with uh, their marketing remit and you talk about brand and emotion um, if you've been a really factual rational led marketing um, marketer it's a bit it, it's tricky to sort of um, switch isn't it you've, you've had the you've had to have the privilege or the opportunity to see both you've been in b2c and seen b2b so you've got a bit of both but if you're a pure play b2b marketer how do they step up and change um, or expand their their uh, their thinking? First is that that corporate um, mentality, right, or mindset, right? It's like you're you're a critical function within that corporate environment. You are, you know, helping to both present the corporate brand as well as the brand to customers. And it's probably quite easy to get kind of pulled into that world where you're merging those two together, right? What is the corporate brand that is out there, and versus the brand you're actually using to market to customers? And obviously, you're trying to want to make those one and the same. But I think it would be easy, particularly in that enterprise area, to really get pulled into that space about how you know you are very conventional and how you follow all the rules and i guess uh you know i'd like to see more b2b marketers kind of breaking more of those rules bringing more emotion in and and really trying to challenge um how we kind of look at that and it it applies to all of us i'm I'm not saying that we're, we're perfect um i think we've got aspects of what we're doing that we need to drive more emotion as well but i just think as a general as an industry when when was the last time you saw a great tagline or a great campaign from a b2b marketer you know when was the last time that you know you heard someone at a, at a party or an event you were at, you know, talking about some great advertising and it came from the world of B2B. Um, and I, I think that is the opportunity. We're going to get into a little bit about the business in a sec, but um, I think it's, it's it's also interesting. You've spent 20 years of your, the last 20 years of your career uh, abroad, Asia, I think, and the US. 
Then you come back to uh, Australia. Why and what do you see in terms of this? The you know Australians often go overboard to get experience. Are we seeing is the is the is the uh, opportunity and, and appetite there for uh, Australian companies to? go global rather than Australian people to go global and come back. What's your thoughts on that? I, I left Sydney and went to a regional role up in Asia and I was really hoping to work obviously on more regional and global brands out of Asia. Um, and to be honest, whilst there was some, I worked on some global brands um, out of Asia, there was very few still at that time. This is back in, you know, early 2000s up to, you know, 2006. I was hoping that the Beijing Olympics in 2008 was actually going to bring more, you know, more Asian-based brands to be global brands. And we didn't really see that, to be honest, uh, for various reasons. Then I went to the US um, and obviously got the chance to work on many global brands and rolled out global campaigns and global programs, which was an amazing experience and something I always wanted to do. Um, for me, it was it was time to come home. Uh, I felt like uh, I wanted to have my kids to be you know, finishing some of their some of their schooling off and things like that in Australia. I wanted to be closer to family, and it was it was time after almost twenty years for for myself and my wife to decide where we wanted to live. Um, and to be honest, coming back to Sydney every Christmas uh, and it being 32 degrees and going to the beach and then going going back to Chicago where it was minus 20 was uh, was a bit brutal sometimes uh, in that January time frame. So I think, but when I came back to Sydney, I was really looking forward to how could I use that global experience to actually work on something global. Um, I found the opportunity at Sightminder where, again, 80% of our business is outside of Australia. It's a truly global tech company. And I, and I really think that there's an opportunity there for more brands and, and marketers and advertising people to work on global brands out of Australia versus necessarily going overseas to do the same thing. Uh, and I'm really fortunate that I believe we've, we've got obviously a, a a tech a B2B tech brand that actually can scale into countries quite quickly and easily. And I think that opens up tremendous opportunities for marketers and, and, and advertising people. It is very different, isn't it, to have 80% of an Australian company's um, uh, revenues coming out outside the Australian market. Tell us a little bit about um, SiteMinder, because even for the uh, more well-read among, amongst us, it's 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 been a lower profile tech play. It's it's well known in, in tech circles and in VC circles and all those, that that sort of side of the game, but it, it's it's reasonably low, well. It's a lower profile play than others. What is it about the? Why is the need for the platform and why has it um, why has it got such solid strong global traction? We're really all about helping hotels to kind of sell, market and manage their business. And if you think about it, there is still uh, a large number of hotels in the world that are still operating very manually. Um, and it is quite a, a legacy industry. Um, if you look at a lot of the other parts of the travel industry, the airlines, a lot of them are using very legacy technologies, you know, very old fashioned, um, you know, infrastructure and things like that. And you're still seeing a lot of that in the, in the hotel and the travel space. And so there is a large opportunity there for hotels to embrace technology in order to help grow their business and, and make running their business a lot easier. And we've fulfilled a really nice um, space there where we're, we're a hotel commerce platform, where again, we're helping businesses either start up a hotel or scale or, you know, kind of add, add technology into their existing company and their business. So it's it's really, I mean, if you just think, they think about how many hotels there are around the world and the opportunity there and how sort of much legacy things that we're trying to solve for and make it easier for people, there really is a big opportunity. How much headroom for growth is there left? Uh, so I know mean, it's an extraordinary number. Um, you know, we talked about earlier about less than half of all co- accommodation sales are made online. Given today's world, it's, it, it, is that more now, less now about mature markets and more de- emerging markets that have that 
that split where it's, there's much more offline, or is it? Am, are you going to surprise me with the fact that even you know mature Western markets are still doing a lot of uh, manual or telephone or uh, I don't know what do they do? Send faxes. Yeah, there is. Look, to the, the the things that we see, there are still a lot of properties and hotels out there and accommodation providers of different sizes, even in major developed countries who are still doing things very pen and paper and old school kind of ways of doing things. They just haven't embraced technology. There is still hotels out there that have a very basic website and that ask you to email or call them to make a booking. Um, and how kind of archaic is that, right? When, mm. when I can order something on Amazon and have it delivered tomorrow, the expectations of, of travelers and guests is that they want to be able to book something and they want to be able to book it now and they want to be able to deal directly with the hotel as well. So I think having, a, having an online infrastructure where hotels can more directly connect um, and indirect, indirectly connect with their potential guests is a huge area for, for growth. There are still hundreds of thousands of hotels out there that have not embraced uh, the technology that, again, can help grow their business and make running their business easier. Hundreds of thousands. So then how are you getting on their radar? Because it sounds like there's as much an education piece as there is an awareness piece um, or both. But how are you, Mark, tapping uh, and exploring that those those growth opportunities with those, those hotels that don't have it? Yeah, I think there's multiple aspects there, Paul. Obviously, um, our content uh, engine is is you know, extremely uh, well-developed in terms of all the different topics, right? If you were to search on, you know, how do I set up a B&B or a small hotel, you're generally going to find information from from one of our brands. Um, and so we, we, we tend to have a lot of content there really trying to make sure we're pulling people into the category and educating them and, and, and helping them in their setting their business up. We have a lot of tools and calculators and everything else that we provide as well. But I also think it's obviously the, the advocacy part as well, right? So, I mean, our customers, you know, we have a very loyal customer base and generally, you know, once they get used to our systems and set things up, they're, they're obviously generally staying with us for quite a long time and they're, they're big advocates. The, the hotel industry is interesting where, again, on one hand, it may seem like one hotel is competing with another, but on the other hand, they're also helping make sure that that regional part of the world is 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 doing better from a tourism point of view. So, we do see a lot of people talking and referring and and and, and you know helping people explain the fact that they've embraced technology and that you know another hotel should as well. So there is a strong advocacy part of our business as well. Big growth opportunity there. Are, are you deploying a different sort of playbook to what a typical B two B business would do, and how does you know, you talk about brand and longer term plays. How are you uh, executing that sort of strategy? Getting into some top secret stuff there, Paul. Uh, <laughs> yes. Got to try, got to try. We're pretty much obviously a very digital business, right? Being a, a global tech company, you, you're generally going to go towards anywhere where you have, um, you know, data and a feedback loop and, and, and the more real time you can get that feedback loop in terms of what's working and what's not. And I think that is the, the challenge, right, is that, you're you're going to use all the digital channels and and everything you possibly can. And I've been I've been in doing digital marketing since I very first started my career. I was just grew up into this digital space and and didn't convert into that space later. But you really do you really can see okay here's all the things you can measure here's all the things you can do. But breaking out of that the box and actually doing things more creative and trying new things is obviously so important for for you know building that emotion. And I think for us um, you know when I first joined Sightminder we were trying to bring in a, a culture of doing things very differently. Um, and in fact, the team knows that my favorite two words are, you know, what if? Um, and so what if we did this? What if we did that? And really trying to create a culture where we can try new things and see if they work. And I've been obviously supported by, you know, a, a great company environment that is an innovative company that is taking on and doing things differently um, to be able to have the room to be able to do that. So I would say, 
it's easy for most marketers and particularly in the B2B world to follow the the path of very digital um, and, and lots of very, you know, smart things to do, but you, you got to take a chance. And, and if there's one thing that I've learned, you know, it's, it's, you've got to try something new, but, but only try that thing if you can scale it, right? Why test something if you're not going to be able to scale it? So for me, it's always about, okay, let's try that. But if it works, then how are we going to turn and put our foot down on that and make it even a bigger part of our marketing? Just before we get into some trends that you see from your data coming through globally, what would you say, uh, Mark, to marketers that are looking at or have not looked at B2B, uh, but now maybe going, oh, there's something in here, this could be interesting. What should they be thinking? What's their approach if they haven't been in a B2B environment before? What are some of the sort of the watch outs there that they should be uh, they should be thinking about? Yeah, I think, look, I think people should just be seeing it as a, as a world of opportunity, right? If you look at, I said, as I mentioned before, if you think about how brands were built in those very traditional CPG or, or FMCG companies, right? That's where it all kind of started, the, the concept of brand building. I think the tech companies have now, you know, taken on the world, right? And I think they've adopted many of those kind of CPG, FMCG backgrounds. In fact, some of the tech brands I've worked with actually were working with my agency with Urbanette because of those backgrounds, working with those CPG brands. So I think they've done that. I think the big shift has really been, if you think about a lot of brands have been trying to sell direct and and you see now, you see a lot of campaigns where, hey, buy direct from you know the manufacturer. Um, the, the world of B2B has always been direct. So there is no kind of distributors. We have a partner network, obviously, that we use to evangelize our brand, but we sell direct all day in, day out. We don't sell through distributors. We don't sell through wholesalers. And so you really, as a marketer in the world of B2B, you really get the ability to build those connections from the start of growing a category and engaging with customers all the way through that life cycle and to making sure that they're a very successful comp- uh, you know, customer of yours. And I think I think a lot of brands, you still don't get that entire journey. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of brands are still trying to figure out how do they balance selling direct and indirect and, you know, what's that all about and how do I build my brand and sell it directly and all those sort of things. And, and the world of B2B has always been direct. So I think the part that's missing though is obviously that brand building. And so I think you've been building building a brand and trying to build a brand, but doing it maybe with conventional ways. So I guess I would love it for people to who are considering – you know, changing roles or are considering, uh, you know, getting into marketing or advertising to to really look at B2B and look at it as, particularly in the tech space, just as this wide canvas where you're going to get to experience a lot and, you know, to get the chance to work with the product development team um, in a tech company where you're literally working with the product team on evolving, not just the product offering, but also the customer experience because it is driven through technology. That's just that's that's a goldmine in terms of being a brand builder, you know, and and being able to really impact uh, through the entire customer experience. And I think you keep hearing that nowadays. Oh, everyone's talking about marketers, and you know, oh, the role is to you know you've got to be across the entire customer experience and the entire customer journey. But when your headquarters is overseas, um, and I've seen this, you don't get that that impact. You don't get that ability to impact the product roadmap or the customer experience. It comes given to you from overseas. And I think, again, that's another opportunity for companies based out of Australia where you can really be a part of crafting that customer experience, which ultimately is a massive part of building that brand. 
So really, you know, B2B, a good B2B marketing teams or marketers could actually have sort of a broader capability, a suite of capabilities than a B2C environment because of all the, 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 the stuff you've just said. They actually could be broader, more rounded, uh, more experienced marketers, do you think? I think so. I, I, I literally think that we need to flip the ground of, of where, do, where do marketers get trained and developed, you know, and, and where do they learn their skills? And I think in a B2B tech company that is – you know, operating globally or something like that out of Australia, you are going to get the best of all those worlds. The chance to build a brand, the chance to really be connected in with the business, the chance to change the customer experience and the ability to launch into global markets quite easily, much much easily to do that than it is when you've got physical distribution and, and different, you know, distribution chains and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I, I really think we need to flip the model. Maybe it's just because I grew up in that world where, you know, again, brands were built, you know, and, and brand marketers were built by the CPG brands and the, the FMCG brands, but I really think the world's changed. Now, um, we'll wrap this up shortly, but I think it would be remiss if I didn't ask you about some of the um, some of the big uh, global and local, if you've got them, uh, trends you've seen because you've got visibility on, on the data and what's happening. Um, what are you seeing there in terms of uh, traveller trends, Mark? Um, I think you, one of the things you've raised was that there may be travellers may be moving ironically back to booking directly with establishments rather than some of those aggregators. It, it, that seems counter trend. Is that is that sort of something you're seeing uh, in certain parts of the world, or is it is it sort of a, a common uh, common theme? Yeah, it's a great question. We 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 obviously look at this uh, all the time, and we obviously saw some dramatic transformations last year um, with with people's travel behavior. And I think that the big insight for us is travel didn't stop last year. It was just very different. Um, And as soon as people came out of any sense of restrictions, they were so keen to travel. It's just they may have traveled more closer to home than what they'd done in the past, but the travel was still there. Definitely, we've seen direct uh, booking, meaning booking directly with a hotel website or booking via Facebook to the hotel. We've definitely seen that grow all around the world um, in many markets. Um, it is not the number one channel, but it is rapidly moving up. Uh, the and, and in many countries, it's in the top three or four channels in terms of what people are booking. Um, that's what we've seen in the past. I expect some of these trends will continue. Who, who knows? You know, we can't obviously predict the future, but we are definitely seeing um, people wanting to have a direct, you know, connection with the hotel um, but obviously a lot of people are also going to be still finding hotels through those larger um, you know online travel agencies def- that's definitely going to continue and it'll still be a major place uh, obviously for people to find hotels and for hotels to generate business but that direct channel is changing we're also obviously seeing last minute um, last minute travel um, you know has continued um, it's definitely been a trend that has been growing over the years um, and we're also seeing people you know, the, the nature of work and holidays and you know nowadays a lot of people working from home they can go and work somewhere for a few days and then have a few days off and you know stay the weekend or whatever so we are also seeing some changes in those dynamics with people's remote working things as well any other sort of key themes you know we've seen obviously a huge uh, surge to to regional uh, destinations simply because of restrictions and international travel um it's it's a you know it's a perpetual uh debating point i guess is when we get back to some semblance of well, when we get to beyond where we are now, Mark, in Australia at least with all our lockdowns, will behaviours revert 100% to, to, to pre-COVID or have we got some permanent change uh, that has been established now? Yeah, we obviously don't have a crystal ball on that one yet, um, mm. but we obviously have some fundamental shifts that we've seen recently. Um, we do know that obviously 
given the recent history that, that people are you know keen to, to, to travel and we see demand uh, really pick up as soon as any restrictions are eased um, you know all around the world we've seen that um, so I, I think we're going to continue to see that and I think I think you know the, the, the travelers expectations are are growing um, you know people haven't necessarily been able to freely travel in the way they have in the past and so now as soon as these restrictions ease around the world and we're seeing this uh, people are going to have a higher expectation they're going to be demanding kind of more from hotels about what's provided to them um, and again that's also being fueled really by the transitions to e-commerce as well in the last 18 months right there's so many markets where e-commerce has exploded and I think that's also changing um, the expectations uh, that people have in other ways and other areas they spend their they spend their income to, to wrap this up what are you what are you in the last 12 months what are your biggest learnings in your position what have you seen what have you gone that's critical or that's important what what just happened two things probably I've seen is it for us it, it never seems to be one thing uh, there never seems to be one thing that we do uh, maybe it's because we're global maybe it's we've got a couple of brands but there never seems to be one thing that we can say oh well that's the one thing that we need to do there's always multiple things um, you know you, you again with with what we do with building our brand and obviously bringing new customers in engaging customers talking to our prospects we have different audiences um, and and it all works together so for me it, it's really building a kind of a marketing ecosystem versus just saying we've got to be brilliant at one thing so that's probably uh, the, the one learning that I've, I've had in the last 18 months and I I think the other one would be obviously you know if you don't change anything then the outcomes are not going to be any different um, so again that, that idea of you know always challenging you know what we've done in the past with what if we did this what if we did that um, for me if we don't look to be doing things differently we're not going to be changing any of our outcomes and I, I, I really have been trying to make sure that we've got a culture of innovation within the team where we can try new things like that curveball but you know you've been out of the agency game for my math says maybe three years when you look back on the uh, on the agency sector where you've spent a lot of time uh, what do you make of that is there any observations there about uh, how they are reinventing or what they need to do yeah, it's uh, it's been really interesting to be obviously on the client side, mm. um, and and we have we have a number of agencies that we work with. Um, we also have an internal agency um, that we've created as well, which uh, does a lot of our work. But we we tend to be partnering with very specialist agencies, um, and I, I guess in my past we saw a lot of you know big kind of holding company models made where it was all very integrated and bringing all these skills together. I think we've us personally we've kind of gone the opposite and said we're going to have that integrated internal agency that does most of our you know strategic planning and creative development work and then we're going to have very specialized external agencies um, who really are very good at one thing and and we work directly with them and integrate them into our business integrate them into our team like as if they're just part of our, our overall marketing team so I think maybe we've almost gone counter to the trend of the the, the bringing it all into one holding company agency model yeah right um, we've almost gone the opposite there but I think the difference for us is that big strong focus on the, the internal um, and I think that's because you know there's a business is very dynamic um, and there's a lot of data um, I think that's the one thing as a marketer um, coming into again a, a b2b tech space is and, and, and a provider like ourselves in, in, in the SaaS industry is 
you've got so much more information and so keeping keeping you know your agency partners you know in tune with that information um, you know is, is obviously very difficult if they're not on the inside so I think for us fundamentally having that core team inside the company um, allows a lot closer you know access to information and planning and that feedback loop that I was talking about um, we've we've been launching a number of initiatives to try to reduce that feedback loop as well where we're able to um, acquire new customers and get them into our products faster and sooner because as a marketer you're, you're obviously always wanting to look at you know how what's that velocity how you bring people into your business and again getting that feedback loop and getting everyone to have the same information you really do need that to be an internal capability versus relying on something outside yeah really interesting well if anyone can know if anyone knows how to build an agency in-house it's probably you mark there's, there's, there's a few tips there after 20 years what are the key i'm interested in the, your in-housing strategy because what are the key functions that your in-house uh, agency does you talked a little bit there about creative and strategic planning but um how, how broad and deep does it go? We actually do most things in-house, uh, to be honest. We, right. um, in terms of, uh, you know, our strategic development around our brands, um, we relaunched one of our brands earlier this year uh, and that work was all done in-house. Um, our media planning is basically done all in-house. Um, we have some partners who help us with some executional things, but mostly done in-house. Um, so most of our core functions are really done in-house. And again, we supplement them with very, specific agencies who are good at one thing who can just plug that in so i think generally again most of our things are done in-house we just have these external providers who um, complement and work with us on on certain areas so and you don't have not a lot of challenge in keeping talent you know you would have probably when you're on the agency side probably even argued it that i hear a lot from the agencies well the diversity of work um, is so much better uh, uh, or broader uh, in an agency and that, you know, you could be working on multiple different accounts and, and, and there is there is cross-pollination and, and, and interesting things that stimulate by working on multiple accounts and different sort of categories and sectors and brands. Um, uh, how do you find that um, it, with an internal agency where it is all, you know, site-minded? And I guess the other brand you talk about is a little hotelier, right? That's the sort of the SME focus for you. Yeah, correct. I think I think the, the thing is there, when I was on the agency side, you always kind of whenever you thought about switching to the, on the client side, you, you always thought about, oh, you know, would, would I get the access to be that inspiration? Would I get challenged on different things? What I found is, is you, you know, you go really deep. Um, you really go deep on the business, far greater than on the agency side. And, and you go really deep and, you, and, and that actually gives you that variety and that kind of inspiration because you're, you're working on very different things. And again, being integrated within the product team and helping develop product roadmaps and product visions, things like that. It's just a, you, you, you're really deep on it, but you're still getting that variety. So it's a, it's a different type of variety. I will say that different type of variety every day, but you are very going deep into a certain area. And I think you can find that balance between those two things that I guess creative people are looking to need, right? Which is, you do want to be inspired um, and you do want to be challenged, but I think you can find it in a different way. How big is your team? How many – can I ask? You're probably not going to tell me, but I've got to ask. Um, so how many people do you have in your internal resource? Yeah, I probably don't want to answer that one, Paul. Between, between one and a 1,000, right? <laughs> probably. Yes. Hey, so, Mark, final one is for you is uh, in terms of your um, marketing and customer acquisition program, um, is there anything you might be doing differently there to what you have when you landed and what you've been doing historically? Uh, look, I think – Continuing to obviously uh, build and invest our brands and really differentiate our brands is something that we're constantly looking at, and it and it is a challenge. Um, it's a challenge to 
make sure that you are constantly looking at that and looking at the category and making sure you are differentiated. And uh, that's something that we continue to look at all the time. And I'm, I'm, I'm not for one saying today that we've we've cracked that. Um, I think it's a it's a constant challenge for people is just to be thinking further ahead and and how do you stay kind of ahead of your competition and how do you grow that category. So that's something that we're constantly looking at. Well, we are going to be watching you, Mark Renshaw, and what uh, the traction you make with um, getting B two C people over to B two B. That's going to be an interesting one, and you'll be you'll be welcomed by a bunch of people to with, with this conversation. So I'm um, good to talk, and I look forward to seeing um, you know the trajectory of of SiteMinder. There's some pretty interesting stuff going on there. Stay safe, and we will catch up. Thank you, Mark. Thanks so much, Paul. Been great chatting with you. This MI3 audio edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.